Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by managers. This is Dumpty Dum, a podcast about the archers and the goings-on of Ambridge. I'm Stephen Bowden, the diabolical hound of Leaders Wood. And I'm Jacqueline Berto, who is working on getting cracking grades. And then there's you, our lovely Dumpty Dummers, who I'm sure have been doing the rounds of university open days. So, welcome to Dumpty Dum, a show about our favourite country village. This week we have a whole load of calls. We have them from... Claire from Clapham who has a response to last week's call from first-time caller in Joanna. Laura, who is wondering about the domestic arrangements at Grange Farm. Globetrotting Richard, who is calling from Zurich with thoughts about universities. Katie from South Shields, who isn't happy with Rob, Miles or Alan. Jen, Ambridge Pony Club, who has thoughts about baptism. Michelle, who has hopes for Brad. Catherine, who isn't too keen on the ghost storyline. Tindara, who's a first-time caller in She's previously called in, though, with Bernadette. Doris, who has had a very good day. Catherine again, wondering why Rob is panting. Tracy from California, who is delighted by Usher and calls her the goddess. And finally, Witherspoon, who reminds us when he celebrates his birthday and goes all Boris Karloff on us. Plus, we have The Week in Ambridge by Suey, a roundup of the Dumpty Dum Facebook group by Rob, and the three Twitter gongs, bronze, silver and gold, from Theo. But before Jacqueline and I start chatting too much, let's remind ourselves of what happened this week with a roundup of the week in Ambridge from our Suey. Hello, my lovely people. It's Suey, Queen of Tart here, and it's time for a quick reminder of the week in Ambridge. A disconcerting amount of this week seems to have been Alan, Usha and Rob talking about baptism. It seems likely that Rob has moved to Penny Hassid, a place where he's never formally lived, in order to be in one of the parishes allocated to Alan. With or without breaking his restraining order, that seems uncertain. I cannot believe that anything good can come of this. 
Alan wrestled with understanding what his obligations were and whether Rob was telling the truth about being ill. Rob reminded Alan that he once told him that no one is beyond redemption. I beg to differ. Alan, please, please get some support from the bishop, otherwise Rob is going to find a way to dob you in. Miles turned up and tried to turn the screw further to make Alan do the baptism, which will undoubtedly need to be in full display on St Stephen's on a Sunday coming soon. Eddie is likely to get up and tell stories for Halloween, probably supported by Emma, who appears to have acquired a great big gullibility hat. Eddie told his tale of the Hound of Leaders Wood, which was transported to Lee's Wood in a book belonging to Lindy Bottom, and there was a witch with a toad. Emma quite got the wobblies and appeared to believe every word, even when Eddie told her he'd made it up. Emma is not going to apply for a job at Grey Gables while she's doing her literature course, but the reopening is still hurtling towards the village. Argyle got his knickers in a twist over paperwork for Grey Gables, and he feels time's getting too tight for the relaunch. Argyle rejected Oliver's offers to hate. Oh dear. Lindy is ploughing ahead with her black tie relaunch due. Oh dear. Now, Jazza is reading that bloody book. Lark rise to Candleford. Brad wasn't going to visit any universities because it cost too much, but Jazza and Tracy decided to drive him in the Riley. I cannot believe that they could do a 100-mile or 200-mile round trip for less money than the train fare was going to be. Anyway, they went up, they did a tour, and Brad listened to a talk, while Tracy and Jazza stuck out like sore thumbs in their wedding togs. Tracy is going to figuratively, spontaneously combust if he gets in. Brad is very pragmatic. He doesn't want to spend the money on going away and would rather just go to Felpersham, that well-known maths course. Of course, his course tutor might need to have some input, so I hope we're going to hear from them in due course. All in all, it was definitely an odd week again. Until next week then, my lovelies, and I hope it's a good one. Quick post-Friday update. Alan has talked to the vicar. You know And Usha told Rob where to stick his Christianity, which she doesn't believe in. I think we can all agree with that. Well, they should both. So, Jacqueline, what have you been up to this week? I've been glorious sunshine, wall-to-wall sunshine here. It's been a very hard-working week in the garden, but we've taken a few days away. Hence, I am now recording this in a camper with two dogs and a husband who've now gone for an hour and a half's walk on the beach because I couldn't (laughs) cope with everybody shuffling around. I said, you can all stay if you're quiet. So, no, they've gone. What about you, Stephen? What have you been up to? So, I think it's been a bit grey and dull in the UK, but luckily for most of the week, I was in Rome. I had to go there for work. And it was for a conference and we were massively overfed. Every meal was just far too much. The evening meal on Wednesday night, there was a huge table laid out with a buffet and we were all loading our plates with it and thinking this is really good. And then we discovered that that was just the appetizers. And oh, there my an- goodness. There were another four courses to follow. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, so far too much food. Food. A little too much wine, maybe, but nothing that prevented us from behaving professionally. And we were given a tour of the Vittoriano, which is the big wedding cake-like monument yeah. in the middle of Rome with fantastic views. And we were there for sunset, and it was very beautiful. Very beautiful. It sounds absolutely fascinating. You're quite a globetrotter, aren't you? Like one of our callers. Indeed. <laughs> but that's enough of that. Us. Yeah. Let's, got a, let's get on to the important bit which is you, our lovely caller, Inneras. And we'll start with this. Hello, Ambridge3962. 
Now, we have had a bit of sound quality issues with a few of the calls, one in particular. So we've done our best to clean them up. This first one does have a few issues as well, and it is from Claire from Clapham. Hi, Dumpty Dum. It's Claire from Clapham here. And I'm just responding to last week's Dumpty Dum and Jennifer, uh, the first time caller on from Brooklyn. Um, just to clarify that, yes, Neil and Susan bought their council house under right to buy at One Green. And then later on, they sold it and they used that equity to fund the self build of their new property, Ambridge View. So it is a combination of benefiting from discounted social housing uh, sale, but also they did put a lot of uh, blood, sweat and tears and they had to live in a caravan for quite a while whilst they were building Ambridge View. So yeah, if you are interested in social mobility in the Archers and you haven't seen it already, shame to be a self-promotion here, but I recommend the Academic Archers book, uh, in which I do have a chapter all about housing pathways in Ambridge, including the life cycle of Enrogwambi and all the places where she ever lived and what it tells us about housing policy in the UK. Plus, there's lots of other really good stuff in there. And indeed, I know that there are some plans afoot for papers on social mobility in next year's academic arches conference. Well, at least I know there are some submissions, but when I get pictures of conferences, another matter. But yeah, look out for that. And uh, maybe come over to the academic arches conference. Great to see you. Yeah, anyway, keep up with your work. See you soon. Thank you for that call, Claire. I love this, Cass, because one caller in makes one comment one week and another one uh, adds uh, brings her expertise to the, the story. So that's brilliant. I hope that helps Je- uh, Jennifer from Brooklyn with her questions about moving on and upward mobility. Good plug for the Academic Archers Conference, Claire. Thank you very much for that. That's at the end of April next year in London, I believe. Yes, it's taking place in London, I think, there's a call for papers has just closed. Yeah, closed on the 1st of October. I don't think tickets have gone on sale for the no. conference itself yet, but they will do soon. That book, by the way, I'm afraid that was one of the things that suffered from the sound quality issues. The book is called Flapjacks and Feudalism. It's edited by Cara Courage and Nicola Headlam and published by Emerald Publishing. And it was published in 2021, so Claire's paper is up to date to about 2020. Claire mentioned that Neil and Susan lived at number one, the Green. That was a council house when they moved into it. They had to move because they were living at Nightingale Farm, a place that has actually sort of completely dropped out of the conversation in Ambridge. We never hear about Nightingale Farm. We have no idea, I think, who owns it or who lives there or anything like that. But there used to be a flat there, which Neil and Susan lived in. Then they had Emma... And then the owner, the then owner of Nightingale Farm was Hugo Barnaby, who was, I think, by then living in the States. He sold it, so they had to move out. And it was bought by Marjorie Antrobus. That's where she had her dogs. And she actually expanded the flat so that there was an extra room and then let it to Roy and Haley, And I think also Ruth, she also, she lived there. But number one, the Green has had loads of occupants and owners after the Carter's lived there. They sold it to Matt Crawford. He let it to various people, including Tom and Brenda. I think Kirsty lived there for a while. And then it was eventually bought by Will Grundy with the money left to him by an aunt. And so he now owns it. And he had let it to Tom and Hannah and Johnny. But now, of course, we know that he has moved back in himself with George, yes, much to with everybody's George. shock. Poppy. 
Anyway, thank you so much for that call, Claire. And next up, we have Laura. Hi there, it's Laura from Bedfordshire. Hi, Dumpty Dummers. Just reflecting on the weird domestic arrangements at Grage Farm this week after listening to Sunday's episode very late on Thursday. How funny it is that Oliver, Eddie, Clary and the clan are all living there under one roof. I mean, I know it's been the case for a long time. but I don't know. I don't feel like we really get a vision into it like we did on Sunday. Oliver there with his sherry and having to go into study and kind of rummaging around stuff with our deal. Just made me think about how do they actually live together? Like, do they all eat meals at the same time? You know, are they all sat around the television in the evenings? Don't feel like you really hear anything often. No mention of Oliver in any of the conversations when Clary was doing her mass cooking last week. You know, I know most that was for Will, but I don't know. I think about the practicalities, I guess. One of those classic things that happens off screen, off, off sound in the arches. How does that domestic setup work? Anyway, yeah, not a major plot point this time, but just something I was pondering. Great week, everyone. Bye. Thank you very much for that call, Laura. Yes, the arrangements at Grange Farm are very strange. Hustling. We know, of course, that Oliver bought Grange Farm after the Grundys had gone bankrupt. And I think he bought it primarily as an investment and he was living at Grey Gables with Caroline. And then when she died, he couldn't face it and he didn't want to live on his own. So he let the Grundys move back in. But when, presumably when they were there before he bought the place, Eddie and Clary probably had the best room and Joe had the next best room and so forth. If they moved back in, did they move back to where they used to be, leaving Oliver somewhere else completely? And Or I did seem, Oliver... I seem to have a vague recollection that Oliver and Caroline had done it up to quite a high spec because Clary waxed lyrical about the kitchen and the fireplace and... So they'd obviously done it. A, it had gone from an old-fashioned, slightly run-down farmhouse to a well-organised country house or a well-appointed country house. And so I, I agree with uh, Laura completely on this. I'm fascinated by this, what happens. Because we never hear them eating a meal together, apart from obviously we did because Oliver was offering Eddie a sherry, which surprised me as well. I can't see Eddie drinking a sherry before Sunday lunch. But so they obviously had that meal together, but we don't often have an insight into how they live, who sleeps where, who has which bedroom, how many bathrooms are there. I wouldn't, I can't imagine the logistics of it. No, I imagine that there are more bathrooms now than there were before Oliver and oh, yeah. Caroline did it up. But yes, even though we often discuss the number of bedrooms and the number of bathrooms in these buildings in Ambridge, <laughs> we have no idea quite how the farms are laid out. I guess with something like Ambridge View, which was a fairly modern build, and with the council houses, you can imagine that a fairly standard plan. But a lot of these farmhouses will have grown over the, yeah. the, the hundreds of years that they've been standing, and who knows how they're laid out. And after the Grundys have been living there since forever, and then Oliver and Caroline come in, it could be any type of arrangement. And yeah, it could be. I'm assuming there's at least one bedroom, if not two, with en suite. Oliver would obviously have one and, and Clary and Eddie another. Or maybe Joe had one with an en suite. And was that the room that George moved into? Hmm, who knows? Of course, Joe might never have really got used to anything other than an outside loo. Probably. In the cider shed. Anyway, that was a brilliant call, Laura. So thank you very much. Next up is Globetrotting Richard. And this is one where we had real problems with the sound quality. I hope you can all hear enough to make sense of what Richard is saying. I think I've listened to it several times 
Jacqueline has listened to it several times. So I think we know what's going on there. Here it is anyway. By Richard here in Zurich. I'm very bothered by the where's Brad going to go to university storyline. Doesn't the place he's doing his in the last ever student counselor? This is a kid who you just tremendous social disadvantage. managed to win a mass competition. No one at his school seems to be encouraging him or supporting him whatsoever. The idea that he couldn't afford to go to an open day is obviously troubling, I'm sure, for many of us. But they've led me to a little bit of research on Google and the famous university, the University of Taught Charge about the children, Charles Babbage, Stephen Hawkins, John Lennon, James, James Russell, Isaac Newton, Roger Clemens, Bertrand Russell, Alan Turing, John Den, almost all the Cambridge Provincials will phone around underprivileged kids to get to from days. There's also another university between Milton Sweeney, Milton Keynes and Swindle, which has very similar support. Kids like that, universities are competing to like their talent scouts looking out at people of his profile and it's just lamentable there's no one and even the hopeless George is getting a grant of 5,000 quid and no one and we'll be there just put a lot of genius amongst them it's all fun what is Nia have to say I'm sure that the item obviously they've been talking to each other about surely they've all near and Brad would have been chatting to each other there are lots of other people in the village who need careers advice but in this case out for matters and and nothing against darling, but nice and all felbishing for that matter. But I think it's an interesting storyline. But well, this guy's a high flyer. He deserves a call pay. Oh, thank you, Richard. Yes, I hope people got the gist of that. It's very difficult because sometimes when there's a lot of background noise, and Richard obviously calls us when he's in his downtime at an airport or move a station or moving around. But we've tried to cut out, cut out the back, uh, the background noise. But I think the gist is that Brad and the going to university story, Richard has Googled around and knows that a lot of universities offer help to people to go to open days. He also wants to know where is Brad's school coordinator or counsellor or his tutor from his course that he's actually on at the moment doing his A-levels. So, yeah, I'm quite curious as to why he doesn't seem to be having any school input. It all seems to be down to him and obviously Tracy and uh, Jazza are supporting him. But one of the things is about Brad's personality. Brad is a very insular type of young man. And so maybe he isn't reaching out, whereas a lot of kids in the sixth form at school would be to their tutor, asking for as much information as possible. I can't see Brad doing that. So I think that's part of it, which also brings us down to the fact, yes, that he's obviously a very clever boy. He's in a high flyer, as Richard says, but his personality might not suit this moving away at this stage. I think we've got thoughts from at least one or two other people later on in other calls, but how do you feel that Brad's coping with the idea of going to university, Stephen? It's an interesting one, and there's been quite a lot of discussion about that on social media as well, on our Facebook group and on Twitter. Some suggesting that it would really do Brad good to, to get away, others suggesting he ought to stay home. Some people even suggesting that he ought to be thinking about university and ought to be doing an apprenticeship because that would be more in keeping with him. I think that Richard is right to point out that he's not getting support from Borchester Green. I suspect that Borchester Green aren't used to the idea of somebody yeah. with a very strong academic ability and somebody who is potentially capable of studying maths at any university from the academic perspective. And 
I don't think that's the issue for Brad. The issue then is the, the social side of it. Going a round trip, not of 200, but of 400 miles to the university that will, and we'll, I think, get on to which university he might have gone to for that open day and what's wrong with the guesses that most of us made about that university. But the point is, that is, I think, too far. I think that if Brad is anxious about going away, then if he is so far away that he can't just go back at the weekend without worrying about cost, time, et cetera, et cetera, then that's going to interfere with his ability to get tuned into the university experience. On the other hand, I think that he would lose out potentially from a really good experience, something that will cause him to grow and expand if he goes to Felpersham and lives at home. I think that would not be a great answer. I think the right answer is to go somewhere where he could easily get home from, so about an hour away or less, so that he knows if he has to get home, he can, without worrying about time or money, but sufficiently far away that he can experience university life to the extent that it suits him to do so. And I've particularly pointed at Warwick as somewhere which is excellent at maths and therefore a good one to go. I do think he ought to be going to an academic university. I don't agree with the people who are saying that apprenticeships are suitable. He has got an academic skill. I think it's one that needs to be drawn out as much as possible. If maths is going to be his thing, then he, there are ways that he can get a career either as an academic or he could join uh, city companies, make huge amounts of money. That's probably not Brad's natural environment. But there are also organizations that are great users of maths as well in a sort of not so much academic, but still pure mathematical way. It comes up in, in a lot of places, including a number of government organizations, which are big employers of mathematicians. So I, I think he ought to be going to university. I don't think he ought to be going 200 miles away. I don't think he ought to be going to Felpersham. But other people will talk about those yeah. calls. And next up is Katie. Hello, it's Katie back again. Sorry about that. Thanks to Stephen for the Garibaldi info. I didn't know that. I've only lived here a few years. The locals are called sand dancers, which I think is really cool. And I don't know where it comes from, but definitely going to call myself one day when I've been here long enough. So this week, I'm calling in because I'm going to dither about the men of Ambridge, specifically the narcissism of Rob, Miles and Alan. Ugh. If Rob genuinely cared about God's forgiveness, he wouldn't be using Ambridge to obtain it. He could go anywhere. And we all know that, apparently, except Alan. Similarly, Miles, who centres Rob and Rob's knees, and shouldn't God and his ministers prioritise that? Alan's dithering over it all is just excruciating. It's well-known. Abusive men use the family courts as a vehicle to abuse. Now Rob's spent that avenue. He's looking to the church. And Alan is just egotistically, to me, sleepwalking into the church being complicit in a woman's abuse, which is just really awful. Good grief. The best I can say is it's disappointing. But luckily, all men in Ambridge are not Romans. This week, I thought Jazza and Brad had been brilliant, thoughtful and sincere and honest. Lovely. These faraway universities are not for everyone. It doesn't suit everyone to be away from home. You don't have to be away from home. I think sometimes these universities were set up for kids who'd been boarders. They were quite used to being away 
And even then, it's still not for everyone. So here's to much more of this sort of saying a big no when it's not right and not just going along with the status quo because you feel like you should and have to do it. Thanks for all your work on the podcast and making this community possible. It's really been making my week. So thank you very much and bye for now. Thank you for that call, Katie. And it's calls like that that make our week. So uh, we can't thank you enough. Absolutely. On the, on the question of sand dancers, strangely enough, I was recently watching an old episode of Vera called Sand Dancers. And that caused me to look into where the name comes from. And the simple answer is nobody knows. There are loads of different stories out there about where the name might have come from almost all of which are almost certainly completely wrong, but nobody can find a real one. So it's just one of these things that has evolved over the last couple of hundred years and nobody knows where it's evolved from. Let's move on to the first part of your call about Alan, Rob and Miles. And I think I'm going to defend Alan slightly in that as an Anglican parish priest, he is obliged to offer baptism to any of his parishioners who ask for it. He can't say no. He doesn't have to do it himself, though. And by the end of the week, we knew that he had found a way of basically offloading Rob onto another parish. So not even one of his own parishes, but the parish of Downham, which is south and a bit west of Ambridge. It's the first stop you go to on the Blackberry Line between Holliton Junction and wherever the Blackberry Line ends up. I think Alan could have handled things a lot better. He could have gone to his diocesan safeguarding advisor, I think that's the name of the post, because of the concerns about Rob and the terms of his non-molestation order and all those worries. So I think that he got to the right place in the end. I think that he really struggled both to deal with Rob's gaslighting behaviour and also the, the obligations that he found himself under. But in the end, I think we've reached the right uh, place with that. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to ignore that part of your call, Katie, because there's several calls coming up about that and I've got thoughts. But I agree. Jazza with Brad this week. They were brilliant together. And Jazza, who would have known it? I know you're not a Jazza fan, Stephen, but he's been great with Brad this week, really encouraging him, even down to joking as he quickly shut his computer in his bedroom and and it was all about Felpersham uh, University. I just appreciated the way that Jazza dealt with his stepson. Yes, that was good. So thank you for that call, Katie. And I think we'll pick up a number of the points that you made, as Jacqueline has said, further on with subsequent calls. And next up, we have Jen. Greetings, everyone in Dumdy Dumland. Well, it's been a strange old week in Ambridge, hasn't it? Just on the whole baptism thing, I am somebody who has done adult baptism through the Catholic Church and it's grand. You sign up, you do a lot of study. It's typically about a year, you become a catechumen. So maybe Rob should try our faith. The holy water might start boiling in the font and there might be a few problems with him being struck down when he entered the church. But yeah, he could try that. There does seem to be a pathway mapped out in the Anglican faith from what the clergy on Twitter are saying, and even pathways for people who are problematic and lots of pastoral support for Alan. And Alan's doing a really poor job, it would seem. And let's face it, he's a bit of a rubbish vicar. He's rarely, if ever, mentions God or Jesus. He does occasionally. He got very nervous when Harrison wanted to be baptised um, and didn't really seem to know what the drill was there. 
And yeah, I haven't heard the word prayer or let me pray about this or we should pray about this together or even it's a very mild discussion about did Rob believe and what did he believe. But yeah, anyway, let's hope we get a new vicar out of this one. He's already on special measures having got drunk in the cider shed and disbelieving somebody of terminal cancer. Well, he he better be right about that because if Miles complains to the bishop, it looks very poor for a man of the cloth to be saying to somebody who's terminally ill, well, I don't believe you. So yeah, that wasn't very good. And anyway, like, why would this comfort Jack in any way, shape or form? Pretty sure Jack and Henry aren't baptised. Helen and Lee don't go to church. None of that lot bother showing up to church unless someone's buying them a stained glass window. So why would his dad being a Christian have any merit to him? (laughs) Thank you very much for that, Jen. I agree. It has been a strange week in Ambridge this week. I've been a bit conflicted about both the Rob Miles Allen situation and the ghosty, scary stories situation and the manipulation of Emma by Eddie. Now, I think I also will stand on the same uh, step as you did, Stephen, and say that I would like to defend Alan as a vicar slightly. And he certainly redeemed himself by Friday because he did say we should pray about this although Rob insisted that they pray about it in the end. But one of the things is that you suggested, Jen, is Alan might go and we'll get a new vicar. But that would mean we lose Usha. And I like Usha. I like the way she's played. I like the way that her character disappears for years on end, then comes back and she's obviously very committed to the community as a non-Christian. And I thought this on Friday night, she played blinder. Absolute blinder. There we go. I think... Jen's point about Alan being a rubbish vicar, it's not totally without foundation. We often catch him in church reading a very standard prayer. And the prayer he trotted out when he was praying with Rob was also, again, it was just, it felt like something that he had at the back of his head and he just brought it out because the occasion demanded a prayer. And this was a fairly random choice of just standard prayer words. I don't know quite where he comes theologically. I was brought up, my father was a, an Anglican priest and a theologian and very much at the liberal end of the spectrum, but we would occasionally find ourselves in churches at the very high Anglican end of the spectrum, which are almost indistinguishable from Catholic churches unless you know a few details to look out for. The smell of incense lies heavy in the air in those places. So there's a wide range of approaches to faith. And then at the other extreme, there's the evangelical ones where the organ has been replaced by guitars and the church music is totally different from the English hymnal that the churches that my father used to work at tended to use. Alan has never quite fitted into any of those. I think some of his predecessors were a bit more easy to place uh, and tended to, to be at the slightly high Anglican but very traditional end of the spectrum. I don't think we've ever had a a fully evangelical type of priest. No, I don't think so either, because I was brought up in the Methodist tradition, which was much more um, liberal and um, prayers come out of your heart and your head and are given to you by Jesus or God. So yeah, these very set prayers are not something that I had any kind of connection with until I moved to a Catholic country. And as part of the council, and as part of the as village life, I do attend Catholic church now. And it's very set piece. You could set your, your, your an alarm clock by it. 
So, yeah, I, I would have always said that I thought St. Stephen's was Anglican on the high side because it's an old-fashioned village church, and that's what I tend to think of them as. So, they, Although they did have the first uh, female vicar, didn't they? They had a female vicar, Janet Fisher, though she had previously been vicar of Darrington, and she added oh. Ambridge to oh, her place when, when they merged the two sets of responsibilities. And we learned a new church name this week. I don't think anybody's ever mentioned the name of I assume, I don't think it was clear, assume it was the Penny Hassett Church, mm. St. Agnes. St. Agnes of Penny Hassett. There you go. Another one for you to add to your list of knowledge, Stephen. I'll forget it immediately. So those are our first five calls, and there are plenty more to come. So don't worry, we're nowhere near the end. If you'd like to contribute to the madness of this podcast, you would be very welcome indeed. And there are three ways that you can get involved. The first option is to record a message or a plot prediction by going to www.speakpipe.com forward slash adamatdam, all in little letters, and don't forget the T in the middle. The next option is to send us a voice note or a message via WhatsApp on 07810-012-881. Please keep your call to a maximum of two minutes. Or finally, you can email us. We have a new email address you can contact us on if you would rather write to us with your views. Maximum of 250 words, please. The email address is dumtdum at mail.com. And please bear in mind, you need to be at least 18 to take part and contribute. Don't worry about trying to write all that down now as we've provided links to all those ways of contributing in the show notes for this episode. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Let's get back to our calls. And next up is Michelle. Hello, Jacqueline and Stephen. Michelle Wright here, second time calling in for me. Firstly, I want to say a big thank you to both of you for your episodes over the last couple of weeks. I was in awe of the podcast you did a few weeks back, which was apparently a complete re-record after a technical failure. We've all lost stuff we've worked on before, and I know how painful it is. To then re-record with your usual charm and good humour was inspirational. Thank you both. I felt I needed to call in this week regarding the Brad storyline. I love all the horror bins, and Brad is just the sweetest boy. I think quite a few of us feel very motherly towards him. I could see the storyline coming this week as it was clear he wasn't as excited about going to his, we assume, Durham visit as his mum and Jazza. I begged the storyline writers though, please, he's got to go. 
I actually predict that he will go and it will be Mia that persuades him, but I kind of feel it will be painful listening getting there. I was the first member of my family to go to university. I travelled a very long way away and it was pretty terrifying, but it was actually the life-changing experience that Tracy hinted at. It broke my heart to hear him say he wants to stay where he knows people. From what we've seen, he mainly sees Mia and George. I do think that someone like Brad would bloom at university and find many similar folk around. I don't think that Brad has a formal ASD diagnosis, but I am sure he would find many similar friends who have the same interests at university. I'm sure there'll be lots of young adults like Brad who are below the rather frustratingly high criteria set for children and young people to get a full diagnosis, and I think he would most definitely find his crew. Whilst he says money isn't an issue, it's clearly paying a part and will feed into the reasons he'll give others and himself to justify not going. It makes me sad for the real-life Brads. 25 years ago, I was fortunate to get a full grant for two years of my years at university and paid off a small loan fairly swiftly after graduating. So hats off to the writers for continuing to bring more of the, dare I say it, lark-rise working-class characteristics up to the modern age. Brad's such a lovely young man. I do hope we see him spread his wings and head away as much as we'll miss him. Tararabit. Thank you so much for that call, Michelle. And thank you in particular for the kind words at the beginning about the uh, podcast that we've been doing. We certainly don't want to have to re-record another podcast. I think we got away with that one, but it was (laughs) not an enjoyable experience to have to redo it. And I'm glad that our frustration didn't show through. Now, I'm going to pick up on that question of, was it Durham? Because I think a lot of us were trying to work out what university they could be talking about. And if you look at a map and you say, well, what's 200 miles from Ambridge? might look like Hogwarts, has a reasonable reputation for maths, and has a calculus module in year one of the BSc in maths. Put all that together, and you definitely come up with Durham. It's the right distance away. It does BSCs. Some people suggested, what about Cambridge? Distance is about right, but Cambridge doesn't offer BSCs in anything. All its courses are BAs. Other people suggested Lancaster and Newcastle, neither of which really look like Hogwarts. The only problem is when they got to the university, they were talking about accommodation and there was a reference to halls or to living in flats, traditional student digs. But Durham, its accommodation is organised in colleges and there is no way anybody would discuss accommodation at Durham without colleges being the first word out of their mouth and which college do you go to because the colleges all have different characteristics and people tend to go to a college that that suits the sort of background that they want. And that includes, I don't know whether there are any still women-only colleges that the way there are in both Oxford and Cambridge. But the history of the colleges means that some used to be all women, and I think that, again, affects their atmosphere. I think that it was probably deliberately somewhere that was where Durham is but isn't actually the real Durham. And as Brenda Selwyn pointed out on Twitter, Durham didn't have an open day on that particular day, but I think that's probably going a little too far. I think so. Stephen, do you know, I think you might be overthinking this. I know it's given us a lot of conversation both on all the social medias, but... um, this may be a fictitious university for a fictitious character from a fictitious village. I know it's sacrilege to say that, and I'll probably get slated on Twitter as we produce this podcast, but maybe we are all overthinking it. But it's, there's always a, a slight 
or lots of us guessed at Durham. So there's always a slight truth in things, but it's not quite real. Uh, yeah, but thank you very much, Michelle, for your call. I too was the first in my family to go to university. In fact, there's only been one cousin's child been ever since, I think. Upward mobility is not us. Michelle did make a very good point about whether or not Brad might get some sort of diagnosis yeah. for his potentially place somewhere on, on the autism spectrum. I know that there was somebody on Twitter who was talking about their own experience as an undiagnosed autistic person who really struggled at university and ended up not doing well at all. I think that a diagnosis, or at least in some sort of assessment, short of a formal diagnosis, would be really useful because I think it would then mean that if there were things that could be done to ensure that Brad got the best out of wherever he went, that he would be able to get the support that he needs, if indeed he needs it, and it isn't just a case of him getting out there and finding his tribe and blossoming and so forth. I think that's something that would be useful for him, along with any financial support. And I do know that a lot of the universities, including, as Richard pointed out, Cambridge and the university he described as being between Milton Keynes and Swindon, which I believe might be Oxford, those are both doing all they can to broaden the range of people who go to them to get rid of that huge public school bias that they have had and to bring in people with no background in no family history of university attendance. And I think Brad is a classic example of exactly the sort of person that those universities are doing all they can to support. Mm. And now we will hear from Catherine. Hi, it's Catherine ringing on Friday afternoon. Just caught up with last night's nonsense about Halloween. And oh, it's, I'm sure everyone's saying it's just ridiculous. We've had enough of this stupidness. But also, Linda, again, another person doing a total character transplant. I don't believe that Linda would be into this kind of stuff because she's just too intelligent and are oh, just dreading the next two weeks of this absolute gibberish. So let's hope that doesn't happen. Secondly, last point was about, oh no, I can't remember his name. So a guy going to university, Mia and, anyway, him. I thought he was going to show on his laptop he was considering doing an apprenticeship, which would have been a really nice swerve away from university, which they've explored before. Although, talking about it as if no one who listens has ever had any children or themselves been to university. Is that fresh as we, oh, it's just simplistic, isn't it? But I hoped he'd be doing an apprentice. My middle son's doing a law apprenticeship and it's just so much better than studying. He's having all the perks of being a student, but starting a career in law four years in. So disappointing, and I hope they snap out of the haunting thing. We're not children. Have a great week. <laughs> Thank you for that, Catherine. O always good value, Catherine. I love the fact that she forgets names as much as me. So that makes two of us. The Halloween haunting thing. I am a real scaredy cat. I like sometimes like being frightened by a story, but I, in general, it's not my kind of thing either. But I dispect to differ uh, about Linda. Now, Linda is someone who loves tradition. She loves all the history and the mysteries of the countryside and the stories of the countryside. She's obsessed with looking into the history of things, as we've seen even in recent storylines. So I think she would have read around the subject of stories of the past around Ambridge. Maybe, and as witchcraft was such a big thing in the Middle Ages, and then I think in a later episode, might even do it on Fridays, she actually talked about, well, of course, it wouldn't have been a witch, but it would have been 
an old woman and who suffered from prejudices of the age. Now, the only other point I wanted to make on Catherine's call, Stephen, is about apprentices. I didn't know they existed in the UK at all, so I was quite surprised. And it made me, when I heard Catherine's call, and it made me look up and find out a bit of information. But in here in France, my own daughter is doing an apprenticeship. She's in her fourth year of aeronautical engineering apprenticeship. And it spent, she spends less and less time in school and more and more time in industry. So she's already spent a couple of months in Toulouse at bus, had great experience there. And she spent time with the French Air Force, L'Armée de l'Air, which was a horrible experience for her because it was definitely living on an army camp in a very horrible old dormitory accommodation. And she was the only girl in the whole building. And so that was a scary Halloween experience for her. And this year, she's doing her final year working in a company that maintains specialist jet engines and planes are flown to where she's working. The jet engines are serviced and she's working on the administration for the mechanics for the servicing. So it's all been very well-rounded as far as she's concerned. And she's delighted that this year there's not much time in school, except she's having to restart after three years of not doing it, studying maths, physics and other things like that that I don't understand. In the UK, modern apprenticeships are something that I think has, they've come in over the last 20 years or so. I can't remember where they were started from. And I think for some people, they are a very good alternative to either going to university on the one hand or leaving school at 16, 17, 18 and Mm. going straight into work and getting a, a low paid job. So for the right sort of people, they are the right sort of thing. I said earlier that I don't think that's the right answer for Brad because I think that he has a genuine academic talent in mathematics. Mm. And I think that the academic sphere is probably the best place to bring that out of him. Maths is one of these things that you need to do while you're young. Great mathematical developments tend to be done by people in their 20s and as they get older, they become less able to just be the brilliant mathematicians. But by then, they should be able to find ways in which they're being able to apply it more. But I, I think that that's the route for Brad to take. On the Halloween point, I agree with you, Jacqueline. I think that Linda isn't coming across in any way as credulous as believing in ghosts. I think that her interest in stories is a combination of the, the historical stuff and the, the way that people were treated as witches when actually they had various other roles, whether it was simply because they were wise women who had the knowledge of how to to treat people, but they challenged or threatened the professionals, the medics and so forth, who were, of course, all men. And then ghost stories are a literary genre. They have a long history in oral tradition. So I, I think that being interested in ghosts as stories is an entirely legitimate thing and something that Linda might well have an interest in, yeah. as opposed to believing in ghosts the way that Emma seems to do. Yeah. That's weird, Emma. Don't like it. I, I, do, I don't feel like she's... I think she's been classed... She's been dressed up as a gullible character this week. And I don't really... I think she's more hard-nosed than that, but we shall see how it develops. It's another excuse, isn't it? It is. And now we have a sort of first-time caller, Inora, as I think that she will explain, it's Tindara. 
Hello, this is Tindara from Margate. I haven't called in on my own before. I called in a little while ago with Bernadette. Yeah, I'm not listening to the Archers at the moment. So bizarre of me to call in, I know. But I just wanted to talk about a few things from a few weeks ago. I think that the storyline about Pip coming out has been handled pretty well, actually. I was quite surprised with people's reactions. I thought the whole thing about coming out can be quite problematic, judging from a few people I know who have had gone through that. I mean, obviously, in Archer's land, it all just happened very quickly. In the same way that a lot of things happen very quickly, like Lizzie's depression, etc. But yeah, I think it's been handled pretty well. Now, obviously, I haven't listened recently, so I don't know how things have developed. And I'm seeing talk of baptisms and Rob and all sorts of things. I don't know whether to dip my toe back in. What do we reckon, guys? Should I go back? Should I just carry on listening to Dumpty Dum? Maybe while Rob's there, that's what I'll do. But in the meantime, that's it. And I'll speak to you all soon, hopefully. Bye. Thank you for that call, Tindara. I'll leave it up to you as to whether to go back to listening to The Archers, but you should definitely continue to listen to Dumpty Dum because by doing that, you'll pick up on what's going on. And yes, if you don't like Rob, find him creepy, annoying, scary or whatever, then definitely you'll, I'm sure you'll hear when he finally shuffles off this mortal coil and it'll be safe to come back into the archers. Indeed, I agree with what Stephen said. Keep on listening to Dumpty Dum. You get you, you almost don't need to listen to the archers unless you're hosting, and you have to listen several times then, don't we? But as well as the Pip coming out story, I agree. I mean, much as I, I dislike Pip quite intensely, and much as that is the case, I really do feel that this dithering of somebody who's already had heterosexual relationships and finding that she's fallen in love with somebody of the same sex is quite fascinating, and it must have given so many questions in your brain. I quite understand, and I do think it's been very well done. Yes, I don't think we have Pip in the programme next week, so it'll be a while before we get back to that story, but I agree. I think it has been fairly well handled. I think at times it's been very frustrating, particularly the the on-and-off-again nature of the relationship with Stella and they keep hitting these obstacles. But I don't think that's necessarily unrealistic. It, it may not be the best listening all the time, but I think it's fair enough. So yes, I, I think there has been some good stuff recently. Now we'll move on and hear from Doris. Greetings, Dumpty Dumpters. We had a Friday without a flash flood, so it's a good day. And I want to say how much I'm enjoying the moral dilemma that Alan is facing and the juggling stories of Pip and her new relationship, as well as Brad and university. So it's been lots of good writing, in my opinion, and I've been enjoying it. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you, Doris. Good positive call. Yes, I don't think we've ever been called Dumpty Dumpters, but that's good anyway. Yeah, lots of good writing. No matter what we feel about the stories, the, the characters and how they're written is so essential to our enjoyment and so much so that we can dislike fictional characters quite intensely in my case. So yeah, but thanks for your call, Doris. And it's really good to hear that Brooklyn isn't flooded this week. No. Thank you. And we're going to move on and hear again from Catherine, who has a little addition to her previous call. Hi, it's Catherine again. Friday night, just listened. What's all the panting about? Why is Rob panting all the time? Honestly, you're talking about baptism, not something more. Well, 
exciting. It's very strange. I did notice that uh, Rob was panting somewhat in church. I guess it's some way of demonstrating that he is ill, although it's a brain tumour, so it's not clear how it's affecting him physically apart from giving him these headaches. He seems otherwise to be living a fairly normal life. We don't know whether he's driving or not, but he must have got to Pennyhassett somehow. And I don't think you can really get by in Pennyhassett without a car. I don't know whether they've got a shop there. We now know that they've got a church, but do they have a shop there? Or do they have to go to Ambridge, which is about a mile from Pennyhassett? Yes, the panty, I think, shows his depth of emotion. He's really in, he's, he's, he's angry and trying to hold himself back. But it's not the panting that gets me, it's the cane. That tap, tap, tapping of a cane, it could haunt me. Ooh, very creepy. So maybe the panting and the cane are all there just to make him a, a scary figure. I still go back to the point I made probably too many times before. It was much better when Rob was a monster inside Helen's head than a monster on the radio. And yeah. I think that it's getting a bit over the top with the, the sound effects and so forth. I, I agree. I, th- I, think it's, I think it's becoming a bit pantomime. But anyway, it'll end soon. It'll end soon, Stephen. Fingers crossed. Next up, we will cross the Atlantic again and go even further to California. Tracy from California here. So I am elated that finally somebody called Rob on his BS. And it's always got to be Usha, the bringer of truth. If she was a goddess, that would be her name. (laughs) Usha, the bringer of truth. But I'm glad that she didn't feel the need to like entertain his BS. And she called him on it and he could not stand that. And I'm like, that's an excellent example for everybody. I was getting very frustrated with Alan for all of his all his flip-flopping. And I'm like, why can't you just be like, I'm calling BS on you coming here talking about you want to change your life and that you've seen Jesus because you are coming back to a place just to antagonize people. And if you really were trying to, you know, redeem yourself, you wouldn't be doing something that's going to potentially cause more harm to the people you harmed in the first place. Plus, he was still talking about what Helen did to him and people act like it's even when she, you know, she stabbed him in self-defense. The reality is I'm sad that Alan didn't have sense enough to speak up, you know, his character, but I'm glad that Usha's character did. So and now we just need to have somebody call Natasha out on basically for business jacking Fallon. Like that was Fallon's business. She had the idea for it. She started it. She built it up. And then Natasha came in and just took it. You know, Fallon had just hosted the tea room in Bridge Farms space, but it was still Fallon's business and her ideas. So for them to take it is pretty foul. And Natasha and her whole, I do know what we're doing. I'm like, really? You don't sound like it. And Miss Tom, which of these wallpapers makes you feel hungry for sausages? It's like ridiculous. Come on now, lady. You don't know what you're doing. But I'll look forward to seeing them fail while Fallon's tea room at the at the charging station prospers. Anyway, that's all. Have a good week. Thank you for that, Tracy. This call made me laugh out loud. I love Tracy's point of view on things. But I forgot to say at the beginning of the show, I have a Californian grandson born on Sunday. So several people messaged me to find out what happened after they'd listened to last week's Dumpty Dump. So that's my bit of news. I forgot at the beginning of the show. That's pathetic as a grandmother. So Tracy, now Tracy, I love this call because for the first listen through, I couldn't work out what BS was because I'm an innocent. So now I know. Well done. And Usha, the bringer of truth. Absolutely. 
I thought that Tracy's point about what Rob's saying, what Helen did to him, it's been a theme with Rob because he's just ignored the truth. He's twisted the truth. So, yeah, and I completely agree about Na- Natasha and the business jacking. Yes, that was a fantastic call, Tracy. Unfortunately, having looked ahead, we're not going to hear from Natasha for at least the next three weeks. We are going to hear from Pip, not next week, but the week after that. So we've got a while to wait to find out what's going on with Natasha and Fallon and the, the shop. So, do you think we're going to be concentrating on, on the Rob story for the next few weeks and then it'll all be done by Halloween? I think we're going to be concentrating on that and various Grundy storylines as well. Yeah. I have a horrible feeling these ghost stories are going to yeah. run on through to Halloween. Just as we were shot of Larkrys, it's all come back again. Oh, dear. There we go. But I thought that Trace was very good on singing the praises of Usher in her conversation with Rob. Of course, unlike Alan, Usher has no responsibilities towards Rob and can just treat him as she sees him. What would have been interesting, I suppose, is Usher is a solicitor, but if she were a barrister, there would be a principle where, as a barrister, she would need to take whatever case came before her because people are entitled to legal advice to in in the courts. And so what if the situation had been reversed? Rob's issues were legal rather than spiritual, and it was Usher who was under the obligation to help him and not Alan. That might have made things yeah, a bit different. Yeah, might have changed it. But yeah, good call, Tracy, though. And now it's time for our final call, which starts like this. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling Tossed salads and scrambled eggs. Mercy. Greetings, Jacqueline, Stephen, and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here. Well, it's October. That means it's the month of my birthday and Halloween, which happens to be one and the same day. Frightening tales abound, and I don't mean the ones told by Eddie Grundy, meant to scare gullible Emma and the punters. I'm referring to the truly disturbing ones of Rob Titchener and his personal Igor, also known as Miles. We had a brief explanation of the origin of the creation of his evil and abusive father, and as frequently occurs without the proper therapeutic interventions, an abuser begets an abuser, but an explanation is not an excuse for horrific behavior, as Rob has continued to exhibit. Alan, as Usha retorted, why didn't you more consider the effects on the rest of your parishioners, and why didn't you consult with the bishop sooner? If this were a horror movie and Rob did die, we would have not a baptism, but a burial on a dark and stormy Halloween night with just two family members in attendance. The old wizened minister would quickly conclude his remarks, and Miles and his father would slowly walk away in opposite directions. The film would then end, and following the closing credits, there would be a slow pan to Rob's freshly dug grave and an unmarked tombstone. Under a full moon, a dog is barking in the distance. The dirt begins to stir. A single shriveled arm thrusts through the ground as thunder cracks loudly over the village of Ambridge, and the screen goes black. Talk to you soon. Thank you for that call with a spoon. I have to confess, when I first listened, I thought somehow it was tape running slowly or something because it didn't sound... (laughs) quite like Witherspoon's normal voice. But as the call went on, it became clear that it was indeed Witherspoon putting on that 
Halloween horror show type voice to chill our blood. Indeed. Very good. Good call. Good, a good, great voice. A perfect for a midnight call, I believe, and perfect for a week when we start to have all these ghost stories, etc. I know Hewitherspoon is a great fan of Halloween, obviously, because it's his birthday, and he's went to Princeton, which has the colours of Halloween orange and black, so it all, all ties in. I'm sure that if we continue to have Grundy ghost stories and so forth, we'll have plenty more calls as we work our way towards Halloween itself. Indeed. That will be a few days after we record. I think we record, we record on the 28th of October and then again in early November. So yeah, on the 4th, yeah. So we will probably have more chance to talk about Halloween then. Those are the calls. Thank you so much for calling in and do call again next week, whether you called this week or not. Let's move on to Facebook and we need to give a very warm welcome to 15 new members of our Facebook group. And they are Hannah Robinson, Catherine Fitzsimons, Nadine Middleton, Daphne Peachy, Demelza Slater, Liz Hensman, Het Phillips, Joe Straw, Maggie Woodhouse, Mel Fawkes Williams, Jenny Bolton, Gillian Yorish, or it might be Jorish, Cleopatra Smith, Charlotte Wright, and Marie Hull. So, what has our Facebook group been talking about this week? Let's find out as we sit back for the roundup with. The nicer, the much nicer robber. Hello there, everyone. It's the other much nicer Rob with the social media roundup. I think it's safe to come out now. A bit like a terrier after the run-up to Kai Folk's night. There are only occasional mentions of Lark Rise. I'm sorry, but bucolic tales don't tend to resonate with me. I was brought up on a different sort of estate. The big story of the week was Rob's Damascene conversion, or was it just another cunning plan? Chris Gibson had been earwigging outside the scriptwriter's room. Writers, let's make another storyline out of nothing. Other writers, let's make it about Rob getting baptised. Alan, I have to think about it, it's not that easy. Reality, it really is because it's sprinkling water on someone's head, can be done in private and is required of Christian ministers. Rob. And I want it done publicly in front of all of Ambridge. Alan. Nope. But Shirley Farrand Anstey was the one with the most knowledge about the situation. I'm more than little concerned at the scriptwriter's seeming lack of research in church law over Alan and Rob baptism storyline. Alan should know, as a parish priest, that providing someone is not previously baptised and they live within the parish, they cannot be refused baptism. Yesterday he told Rob he could not baptise him, which is wrong. However, if he can get another, perhaps a retired priest, to conduct the service, Alan does not have to look after it himself. Are there spare priests in Borsetshire? Possibly, though they would be much in demand in rural areas where a priest has to cover more than one service each Sunday. N.B. Shuler, whose name I've been seen mentioned, is still in training and cannot take baptisms until the second year after ordination, when she should, all being well, be an ordained priest. Alan seems to look after a multi-benefice parish, i.e. has more than one church under his care. Rob now lives in Penny Hassett. That seems to be true as far as we're aware, but who knows where Rob is concerned. And that is certainly one of Rob's parishes. If Penny Hassett has a church, then the baptism could take place there, which Alan could insist on over St Stephen's in Ambridge. There are no grounds, even pastoral ones, other than those I mentioned earlier on, 
which Rob can be refused baptism. And that's from a vicar's wife. The other big story of the week was Brad going to Chep out on a prospective university. But which one? Al Williams summed up with the following options with, So, where do we think Brad and co are heading to for the university open day? I was trying to work out where a location 200 miles from Ambridge would be. Also, somewhere which looks like Hogwarts. I'm guessing Durham. But then Chris Gibson put the question, Who's ready for a spin-off radio drama about Brad going to college? Even if it does turn out to be Felpisham Uni? And to wrap up, there was the farce that was Eddie trying to channel Joe with his ghost stories. I think the majority of us agreed with Darcy Jorgensen when she asked, How stupid can Emma be? No, stop. It's a rhetorical question. And that's it for this week. I look forward to another week of fun and frolics on the Dumpty Dum Facebook pages and hope to be in touch with all of you there. Be warned though, when the chat starts, you can be there for hours. Bye for now. Thank you so much, Rob. That was excellent as usual. And thanks to everyone on the Dumpty Dum Facebook group. If you'd like to join them, along with the 15 people who joined us this last week, please do. But don't forget to answer the very easy membership questions so that we know that you're a real person. Now, I've decided I've got to have a word with you lot. We have had no reviews since July, which is a bit shocking. Have you all written a review? No, I didn't think so. Now get yourselves on to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review, preferably a five-star one. And even if you hate us or are a bit meh about us, please leave a review because I'm convinced that something's gone wrong with the review software. Please message me via Twitter or Facebook if you have left a review so I can really search the depths of the internet to find them. Now to Twitter, where you'll find us at Dumpty Dum. Make sure you include the Archers hashtag using a capital T and A so the visually impaired who use screen readers can enjoy any Archers-based tweets. And as well as at Dumpty Dum, I can be found at at Wenlock House. And I can be found at Jberto Sanguen. So let's find out who has won the Twitter medals this week. Hello, it's Fry here. And now on Dumpty Dum, it's time for Tweet of the Week. So at this point, normally we hear Purple Pumpkin, but unfortunately, as we'll hear in her email, she's not well enough to do it. Hello, Jacqueline, Stephen and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It should be Purple Pumpkin here, back from a trip to India with a selection of tweets of the week. But unfortunately, I came back without my voice and so a host is reading, that's me, my notes this week. Many, many thanks to Bernadette for doing a sterling job last week, even through the haze of a COVID vaccine. And my thanks as ever to her, Jen and everyone who tags at Dumpty Dum to make sure we see all the best tweets. This week, the Twitterati were in fine form. There was a discussion started by Nick at Check Your Sheds about how anyone could doubt the existence of witches when they lived in a village with Kate, Helen and Natasha. Oh, and Peggy added Glyn Fullerlove at Glyn12GH. There were also some lovely images in a pictorial thread about which religious leaders the Reverend Alan Franks might consult about his dilemma. It was started by Ninzi, at Ninzi, with a picture of Pope Francis meeting Ayatollah Ali al-Sistani, but others suggested GB News presenter and Anglo-Catholic deacon Calvin Robinson, and Ninzi posted a couple of Catholic cardinals. Finally, Ninzi had him calling Labour leader Sir Keir Starmer who said, I'm sorry, Alan, but this really is one for your archdeacon and local, local safeguarding team. But these were knocked into a cocked hat by a thread started by Paul Truman, at Paul W. Truman. 
The year is 2046, and multi-millionaire industrialist Sir Bradley Horobin has made a surprise appearance in Borchester to open the Jazza McCreary wing of its new university in his generous For the Bairns bursary gifted in perpetuity named after the late pigman. Ian, not moved on at Worcester Yokel, replied with, Meanwhile, ruthless business tycoon George Grundy, owner of Grey Gables, sips G&T on the terrace attended by a bevy of seemingly trafficked young females. To which Paul added, Blissfully unaware that the recent anonymous buyer of a majority shareholder in Grundy Inc. is back in town for one final trip down memory lane. While Jacks at Jackie Collins 5, noted that Brad was accompanied by his wife Mia, MP, Secretary of State for the Environment, and Borsetshire Finance at Borset Finance, added that Borsetshire Finance are proud sponsors of the Chelsea Horobin School of Hairdressing. Give these folks script-writing duties, please. Absolutely. So, now to the medals for Tweets of the Week. In bronze position from last week, still an apt gem. It's Matt at Matt underscore Mark 2. At this point, I feel like we're only a day away from the scriptwriters banging on my door at dawn and yelling, Have you read Lark Rise to Candleford? in my face. The silver medal goes to Ian at CareNow27. Is there anything more chilling than a psychopath quoting Bible chapters? And the gold medal goes to Brian Holding at Buggy Swires. There is a suspiciously large number of spooky legends around Ambridge, and there is always a new one that comes to light in October. Well, that's it for this week. Hope to see you all on Twitter and to record my choice of tweets next week. Thank you for that, Theo, as channeled by Jacqueline. And congratulations <laughs> to all who are mentioned in this week's roundup. And don't forget that we are also on Instagram at Dumpty Dum. And we will both be back again next week with another episode of Dumpty Dum. Well, as we come to the end of this episode, we need to say thanks to all our wonderful contributors and to our social media supremos. The whole Dumpty Dum community, you are such a cheerful, supportive bunch. And we must say thank you to Shambridge for her voices and our podcasting parents, Lucy V. Freeman and Royfield Brown. Thank you so much for listening to us and joining us today. We're now off to Downham to meet the vicar. So it's au revoir from me. And it's bye bye from me. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 